When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Namaste, Welcome to Namaste Motherfuckers, the only podcast where the worlds of work, comedy and well-being collide. I'm your host, Callie Beaton, and this episode is called Twinkle Toes, referring to today's guest who has surprised us all, and most of all himself, by fast becoming Ireland's answer to Fred Astaire. Dancing with the Stars, the international name for Strictly Come Dancing, is one of the most successful entertainment formats in TV history, and it's currently airing on RTE in Ireland with a phenomenal 40% audience share. It's been sold by the BBC to over 60 countries around the world, and it's fair to say, I think, that people during a pandemic like a bit of dancing, or at the very least, they definitely like watching people dancing. The tango was invented in Argentina and was originally devised as a dance between two men. Going back a bit further in time, Roland the Farter was Henry II's court jester and he had to perform a special dance every Christmas that ended with one jump, one whistle and one fart, all executed simultaneously. In return for this, he was given a manor house in Suffolk and over 100 acres of land. I think that's actually a good deal. The earliest example of a successful crowdfunding campaign was when Will Kemp, the actor, clown and former shareholder in Shakespeare's Theatre Company, raised money by Morris dancing his way from London to Norwich in 1600. What was the point of that without social media? Who was checking? Who was TikToking? Despite repeated campaigns to repeal the law, spontaneous dancing is still illegal in Sweden. A dancing permit is required. So maybe Abba's dancing queen was less feel-good, more subversive. And in 2018, a Chinese kindergarten head was fired after pupils were welcomed back to school with a nice pole dancing display. Yeah, apparently you're talking to one particular side. That's my guest today, Neil Delamere. No one dances sober unless he is insane. That's a quote from Cicero, not Neil Delamere. Victorians were encouraged to get up and dance immediately after sex as a method of contraception. And if this wasn't possible, riding a horse briskly over a rough road would do. I like the fact you might not be able to actually dance, but you could get up and find a horse upon which to ride briskly. Anyway, who says we haven't progressed as a society? The word tarantism means the uncontrollable urge to dance, which is not something Elvis suffered from. He didn't even dance at his own prom, apparently telling his date that he just didn't know how. The hand jive was invented at the Cat's Whiskers Club in Soho. The venue was so small, there was only enough room for people to dance with their hands. And finally, having seen Neil ace it with the cha-cha-cha on last week's show, I'd like to let him know that Bruce Lee, yes, Bruce Lee, was Hong Kong's 19th 
58 cha-cha-cha dance champion. I almost forgot my last cha. That's why I'm not on Strictly Come Dancing. Well, does this sound louder in your ears when I'm there? Yes. Neil is a hugely successful and booked comedian with over 20 years of experience under his belt and an impressive roll call of TV and radio credits to his name. He's a regular panellist on BBC Northern Ireland's The Blame Game, as well as having appeared on everything from the news quiz to the unbelievable truth over here in the UK. He's been described as one lean, mean, comedy-killing machine. He's currently making a name for himself as a serious contender in RTE Ireland's Dancing with the Stars. Neil and I, by the way, we're really good mates, so there's quite a bit of banter and piss-taking that goes on in this episode, but I think you will easily be able to tell that underneath it all, I'm really proud of and pleased for him. He's a properly awesome dancer and human. Neil and I talked about comedy, dancing, voting, spray tan, Cuban heels, farting, foster dogs, mental health, home life, work life, fitness, Dublin, London, panel shows, Bob Mortimer, Bob Monkhouse, ambition and confidence. I was talking to him when we recorded this right off the back of a dance practice, so I started by asking him about how it's going, winning over the hearts of Ireland with his performances on Dancing with the Stars, and what made him decide to do it this time around. We were in chats before and they would say to you, you know, it'd be a preliminary chat. Would you be interested in doing it? And um, I was always touring fairly extensively January, February, March, April every year. And um, I, 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 I didn't, I, I remember meeting a dancer once and chatting to who was in the show and chatting to them about it and then um, saying, you know, what's involved and then I said, I remember one year I said, listen, if, if we're going to do this, you know, let me know very early. And we didn't, we kind of fell out of contact and various bits and pieces happened. And I said, listen, I can't do it because I'm doing the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. Um, and then this year, because of COVID, I thought I'm going to do something that'll scare the hell out of myself. But also I thought, you know, life is short. You know, you're never going to get a chance to do something like this again. It's kind of an amazing experience. You're going to be taught by someone who's a world champion. I'm so excited about this. I do amazing. feel when you told me that you were going to do it, is it fair to say I was more excited than you, if we're being honest to my listeners? Um, uh, well, I mean, it's hard to say to your listeners just how excited you were. So I think everybody who's ever even been involved in the production was less excited than you. Yeah, I mean, I'm just so, yeah, I feel I'm almost in the show. I'm so excited about it. And uh, I know I can't watch it because I'm not in Ireland, but that hasn't stopped me avidly following your progress. Um, by the time this goes out, or by the time this goes out, you might have gone out, but I'm hoping not. I'm hoping, <laughs> yeah. I'm hoping you're still in it. It's um, very enjoyable, I have to say. It's it's, it? even, it's more enjoyable than I even thought it would be. Because I, like, I don't know about you, but I've never done anything anything dance was so i'm literally starting walking into a room with someone saying to me like i haven't done tap dancing i haven't irish dancing anything uh, and they, you didn't have any kind of drama school type no, of you did nothing. computer science not drama right yeah nothing whatsoever have you so danced at a wedding have you ever danced at a wedding uh, yeah oh well basically you asked me the question have you ever been drunk yeah have you ever been <laughs> drunk at a <laughs> yes. wedding at a wedding yes yes but i don't think rock the boat counts necessarily Kelly. so no uh, 
and that video footage has yet to come out what did (laughs) I want to know what the person who loves and knows you best so your lovely wife Jane what did she think when you said I'm doing this she's probably seen the drunk Neil at a few weddings Uh, and she's quite media savvy I just want to know what counsel she gave you she is very media savvy she's also extremely supportive and she said to me I think you should do it because I think you might actually be better at it than you think you'll be at it was that a low Uh, bar though and um, yeah it was a really low <laughs> yeah. was, I had zero expectations <laughs> okay. whatsoever so she goes no I think like she was saying like you can hear music because like we can't understate this there are people who cannot hear beats there are yes. people who have no rhythm there are people who don't even know where they should be I at least thought well I know where I should be I might not be there but I know where I should be at certain points in music so, so you can follow a beat I can follow a beat yeah are With you sure great- the great yes okay yes i am absolutely that's a bold claim yeah you you haven't seen my dancing yet so i'm going to say yes i can okay okay but the good thing about that is is if you so the like they teach you using counts at the start you know so one two three four or whatever and the idea is that you get to a point where hopefully you're not counting in your head um and the good thing is if if you know where you should be in the music if you get lost you kind of go well i need to be up there at the chorus doing that step so that's kind of very comforting and is it so how long is a dance it's a bit like when you start stand up and people who've never done stand up are like five minutes that's really short but when you haven't done (laughs) that five minutes is three weeks how long is the dance and how long does it feel um the dance is maybe a minute and a half to two minutes maybe a minute 45 whatever it depends different different sorts of um lengths but roughly around say 145 and um, it it feels interminable when you're trying to learn it at yep. the start and when you do it on tv for the first time it absolutely flies does what it you, what you have to trust is that you know sometimes you just can't pick something up you're tired you're haven't eaten enough you have no experience you, it, can, it just will not go into your head. And then in the early rounds, you have enough time to go home, sleep, get up the next day, try it again, and it'll go in. Now, as we are talking, I haven't, you know, learned a dance a week. I haven't hit that stage yet. Which so I you've think, done one dance, you've learned to dance, done a dance. Now you're learning yeah. your second dance. And second you've got dance. 10 days between now and performing that second dance. Yeah. So tr- generally it'll be a week. Um, it's slightly different because of uh, the breakdown of this show. But yeah, it'll be a week learn your second dance, you know, uh, you're never that far ahead. And I think if people do very well. I think they're learning two dances maybe towards the final, but it's not oh something I think we will have to be particularly concerned. Two about. dances a week. Yeah. And yeah. was it, is the, was the gateway drug for you to get into um, dancing with the stars was the gateway drug fittest family? In some ways it was. Yeah. So I did a show called fittest families Um which there's this kind of a celebrity version. It's four people in the family to do an assault course or a thing and, and trying to raise a few quid for charity. Um, it was in some ways for me because I have never done um, re- what you could describe as reality television, I suppose. So I've only ever done, I've done panel shows, I've done documentaries, I've done sketch shows, I've presented all sorts of stuff, but I've never handed myself over entirely, I suppose, to somebody else. There you go, you film this, I'll have no kind of input into it. So I did Fittest Families, um, and the reason I did that was because it was during the summer and I thought I needed something to train for. And I, it was actually kind of a mental health thing in some ways. I, I all 
structure was taken away this year, you know. Um, and it's been really tough. You're based in Dublin and you've had it that bit harder than London where I am recording this. Yeah, from, for example. I mean, we, yeah, we were kind of off and on a bit more and a bit more conservative in our approaches to things. So I just went, you know, uh, I want some structure. I want something to force me to train and did that really, really enjoyed it. And then um, this presented itself as an opportunity. And it's so, it's a massive show. It's it's a, it's it's Johnny Mainstream. This is like, what I kept telling you when you got it. I was like, this is a massive show. I suddenly wanted to be you. Yeah, I, like I knew, I kind of knew it was a massive show um, because I know people who've done it before. I know some of my comedian friends have done it. Um, but in COVID times as well, I think it's it, because it's such a nice show and it's so different to, you know, anything you're hearing about Omicron or Delta or anything Yeah, the else. one over here was, well, I'm sure you know, went absolutely gangbusters. My parents got into it. They were crying. Yeah. If they could be watching your first dance, they'd be crying, but they can't receive it over here <laughs> where they are endorsed. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think people just, it's such escapism. I think people really like it this season. So, and there's some really good people on it as well, you know. I've now become friends with Nico Roach, who I have followed his career you know, an international cyclist has, has won stages in the Vuelta de España and the Giro d'Italia. And you're kind of like, I know Nicholas Roach now. So that's kind of... Did you say, hey, Nicholas, I'm in new cycle, but I've done fittest families. I'm pretty fit now. My <laughs> cardio. How's his cardio? Because even the dancers are out of breath right after their 90 he, seconds. Is he, he? I guess he doesn't look like he's even broken a sweat. You're absolutely 100% yeah. correct. He yeah. is like, there's 12 couples and everybody is battered after even the, the dancers uh, even the dancers yeah, and yeah. nico roach is like yeah we go again now will we because can you dance? well you i won't ask you if you can dance because that's not fair in case you say no and then you're going to lose your new uh elite <laughs> my new friend friend yeah there's a few yeah, there's a few sports people in it which is a bit of a worry because they like there's their a coordination jockey, isn't there? is there a female jockey nina carberry's yeah. in it and she won fittest families not against yes, me but I she didn't won mean her to own version that, but yeah she is i know she's like she is hardcore she's professional Has in, she got in, more of a six-pack than you she's a she's a six well everybody's more of a six-pack than me but no she's <laughs> hardcore hardcore i bet you've got more of a six-pack than uh, ann widdicombe when she did it i mean i don't know i've not seen you in your leotard but it's just a guess i mean again we're talking about low bars uh Callie here i'm, <laughs> I'm not going to say anything more about miss widdicombe but <laughs> hopefully by the end of a few weeks there'll be more of a six-pack than there is at the moment and did you have um because one of the reasons as i've told you uh you know outside of the podcast that i love it so much is because i used to watch it with my daughter and i think loads of people i probably wouldn't have got into it if it wasn't for the fact that i had a youngish family and it was that kind of shared viewing thing so i'm actually quite cynical about things like this normally but i do have a properly sincerely soft sort of place in my little heart for this and what I want to know is, so my daughter used to dance. She did tap dancing, ballet, figure skating. So she used to have to break her shoes. And so she would have like um, tap dancing shoes or she'd have shoes with points and she'd have to wear them around the house. Yeah. Are you tiptoeing around the Delamere household in Cuban heels at the moment? Uh, uh, well, when I got the Cuban heels, so I have Cuban heels. So you actually and- do have Cuban heels. Oh, I have Cuban heels. I was just heels. taking the piss. You do no, have I have ap- you have to dance oh. the la- Latin dances in Cuban heels. Yeah. You know me, and I is is it fair enough to say that of all the people you know, of all the men in particular that you know, the person le- least likely that you've ever met to wear a spray tan and Cuban heels? I mean, they've got to be in the top 10. You definitely are in the top 10. I mean, yeah. you could use a spray tan more than a lot of the men I know, but would you well, have one? This is, this is true. Normally. I would, yeah. same, the th- same thing could be said for Cuban heels, Kelly. Yes. Um, but no, I've, the thing about this show is I went, if I'm doing this, I'm doing this. I'm going hardcore. I have had, they said, you're going to have to get a spray tan. I said, line me up against the wall and do me 
like I'm a battered Ford Transit. Spray me, boys. Spray me. So um, you have um. So the spray because I've had spray tans. Yeah. Um. I don't know if has Jane ever had a spray tan because I remember I used to have spray tans. There was um a woman called the Tan Fairy. That wasn't her birth name. It was her company name. <laughs> Nominative uh, determinism. That is <laughs> exactly. Her grandma said, like, "You're going to be a Tan Fairy," and she would come to the house and she would put up a tent like yeah. um and then she would i would get down to to well either nothing or she'd give you a pair of like paper pants but actually it was generally agreed nothing was better i think that the pants were just like if you really want to pretend you need this and then she would spray me and i did i used to do it in the kitchen um and which i thought was more private because it was at the back of the house i would yeah. do it when the kids weren't home and i'm a single mum as you know so there was no risk of my husband walking in going, going, well, this isn't what I signed up for. But then I did realise the last one I had that I, I mean, I do know this, but it hadn't occurred to me. I've got a glass roof in my kitchen conservatory, which the, so I did then realise, oh, probably the people at number 19 have seen me getting naked sprayed every May and July for the last four years. I did wonder why that house kept being sold. I was like, why doesn't anyone want to stay there? But um, So how was how does that compare to your experience? You wondered how, why that house was so expensive. Everybody <laughs> wanted to move to the area. There's a special swingers struck dogging group. It's basically stationary dogging. That's what it is. Everyone wants to see a menopausal ginger woman getting spray tanned in a glass roofed annex. There's Listen. a massive, I mean, only fans can't even cater oh if you can think of it it's on the internet um uh, i no it, it was a tent i have experienced the tent standing yeah. there in my boxers with the woman just spraying me down so you had your and boxers on i guess because for what you're doing I did. you yeah. don't need that bit yeah well technically i actually didn't need any bit because i was in i was entirely covered up you were very dressed you sent me pictures of the outfit of your little yes. outfit what i which i would describe as um so very high-waisted trousers black trousers yeah uh, cuban almost he- a cowl-esque trouser cut. that is exactly what i would say yeah. yes yeah um uh cuban heels yes and um uh, i did break them in not walking around the house but you dance in them when you're doing rehearsals so you're wearing your trackies and your cuban heels in rehearsals track suit knee pads yeah just you. Heels. Does anyone else have knee pads or did she just get those for you? Uh, it, it, me, especially. Yeah. I didn't yeah. even go down to my knees in the show, but I just, you know, I'm, I'm in it for the freebies. So no, Delamere pads. Yeah, Delamere pads. No, yeah. I do go down to my knees. And when you're going on your knees all of the time, um, uh, my, uh, you know, they go, listen, you know, get knee pads. Yeah. Um, And then the top was a sheer shirt, which I did not know was going to be sheer, but it had satin on the front of it. And then it had this uh, black. A bit like a leotard shirt. Well, it was sheer. It was satin when I tried it on and then suddenly it turned into something that was sheer. Oh, that could throw a person. It could throw a person, but they they sewed a kind of a satin ruffle thing in the front of it. And the jacket was uh, the jacket was this short bolero jacket with loads of bling on it. It looked like if Joan Collins, a mixture between Joan Collins and Colonel Gaddafi. That's what it looked like. Wow. That's quite a visual image to get. Yeah. yeah. I think by the time this goes out, people will be able to Google this and see for yes. themselves of what you speak. If Elton John went to an Orange Order parade, that's the look that you're thinking of. That is great. That is great. And do you think, um, and did you feel a bit, did you have a bit of the sort of, I'm thinking maybe more David Furnish than Elton John. Are you going more Elton John for your look? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm I'm sticking with Elton. 
Because oh, yeah. if it's bling, I'm sticking with Elton. Okay, but, you're sticking with him. It kind of helps you because they were telling me about Paso because we did a Paso Doble. That's, that's the dance I've done. And they said to me, it's about characterization. It's about this sort of imperious Spanish matador. So you have to be kind of Like snoozy. a Spanish cook of the walk. That's exactly what you have to yeah. be. And yeah. you have to access that part of yourself. And um, we have this little thing. I, I, I was rehearsing and Kylie, my pro dancer, who's a, a world champion, uh, Latin dancer, uh, she says to me, like, you're just much better if you're committed. So she goes, give it beans, just give it beans. Uh, and, you know, if you're committed to it, it, everything looks much better. So we did. We just went for it, you know. How? Because you're somebody who you're a, you are a brilliant stand up um and I will say that I say that to every single stand up I have on the podcast. <laughs> I've heard this show before. Yeah, yeah, you've heard it before. No, you are, you, you know, you're not bad as a stand up. I will say that for you. But you're very um, and you're very, very loose and relaxed on stage as a stand up. Yeah. yeah. But I also know you well enough to know that a huge amount of work goes in, as it does for all of us, into the joke writing, the, you know, anything that might look like a sort of, um, you know, ad hoc bit of looseness. Uh, a lot's gone into that. And so letting go and it's you're in control of the content and you're in control of which venue you go to and you, you have a lot of elements in your control albeit the audience is not always in our control so this must be like jumping off a cliff edge isn't it for people who do what we do for a living well yeah I was and one of the things that they made the mistake of saying I think and this is everybody around the show um was that assumption of and they would say oh you're going to be you're going to be great because you know, you're not going to be nervous because you have done gigs to thousands of people. You're going, yeah, but I've done gigs to thousands of people. This is an entirely different yeah. kettle of fish. In a gig, I know what will happen if it goes wrong. If it goes wrong, that can be grist to the mill. You can joke about it. You've done it for years. So I don't I don't get nervous doing stand-up gigs anymore, you know, very rarely. You famously don't get nervous. You've been mentioned by other comedians on this podcast as an example really? of a comedian who doesn't get nervous. Really? Tim McGarry's episode is 80% Neil Delamere doesn't get <laughs> nervous. So. Nicest, nicest man in the world, Tim McGarry. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and a great host on our show as well, I have to say. Um, but so I, have, I haven't been nervous for 15 years. And then, then... This whole week leading up to this dance, breaking it. Absolutely. And and what was weirder than that is you're going, what is this feeling? Oh, it's nerves. God, I haven't felt nerves for such a long time. What so were the was, nerves like? Were you being grouchy around the house? Um, no, because how would you tell if I was nervous? Um, I was, <laughs> I was, uh, I was just thinking about it a lot. I was, uh, my hands were cold. That's how I know if were I'm Were you nervous. sleeping? Have you had Strictly? Well, it's I, not called Strictly. Is it Dancing with the Stars is the Irish name? Have you, were yeah. you having Dancing with the Stars dreams? Um, no, I wasn't having Dancing with the Stars dreams, but I was thinking about the routine and on the, so you, and I, it was the first show. So the, you dance on a Sunday and on Friday we went into the studio and on Saturday we danced in the studio and what was strange about that was the nerves are lessening a little bit at this point. Um, but when my first, my, my dress rehearsal on the Sunday and um, the music I'm standing in my starting pose and the music didn't come on because they had a technical issue. So you're, you're hyped up and then you have to calm down again and you have to hype yourself up, That's up not again. Good. But by Sunday, I think I'd burnt off the nerves or something. And had I was just kind of, you were the first dance of the first episode. Let's first not forget dance. that bit. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. I was the first. Time. I would much, much prefer to go first. Why? Um, because then you can enjoy the rest of the show. I would hate to go on the very first episode. I would hate to go 
fourth or fifth or sixth. I really would. And what if everybody else was brilliant as well? If you'd watch five people knock it out of the park, well, that, and yeah. you'd come hobbling on in your Cubans yeah. thinking, I'll yeah, do what yeah. I can, but this ain't yeah. going to be pretty. Yeah, you really yeah, you really don't want to just be kind of, if you're if you're terrible, you want to hide mid-pack. That's what I was hoping for. Yeah, uh, but you and, did better than mid-pack. Yeah, I was, I was, I, we got the second highest score, but it was a bit weird because you know, they, you're first out, so they give you scores and, um, you know, you're getting sixes and you're going, well, is 17 or 18 out of 30, is, is that good or is it bad? I didn't fall over and I was in time and I think I did all the steps and all the rest, but you don't know. And then you see other people getting 14s and 16s and, you know, you have some frame of reference then uh, as it goes on. But listen, I mean, the judges scores, I suppose, they know what they're talking about and, and it's your first ever dance. I think what they're looking for is probably progression in some way as well and is it in terms of the feedback so all of us know as comedians that we either do or don't read reviews but we all probably give a shit if we get a bad one and we always hear even if we don't read them because some helpful person will be like just ignore what katie Cupstick said what does she know and you're <laughs> oh, like oh, there's I always know. one isn't there <laughs> I didn't oh know yeah she'd written anything yeah so, so you get the general feeling when everybody puts their pints down and you know crosses themselves when you walk into a bar in edinburgh <laughs> so we know how that feels <laughs> yes we do we do um and What's it like then when you're at, because a bit of me, once I got into comedy, as you know, having spent years on the other side of the fence, I would go to numerous shows as someone in the industry who everyone wanted in the room. And I would be there sort of quite cynical about some people and positive about others. And then when I started doing that, I was like, everybody deserves some stars just for <laughs> joining in. And I got quite militantly like, don't, you can't be nasty to people. So it must feel when you've even just got through your dance, haven't yeah. fallen over, haven't made a complete tit of yourself. You must come out feeling like Fred Astaire and go and do not give me a bad mark. So how is it if they say something nasty to you at that point? Well, they haven't said anything nasty um, um, so far. And what they did say was, so, for example, not to get technical, but you're not meant to bop, if you know what I mean, in the paso. So you're meant to, these are sentences I never thought I'd say. You are meant to kind of absorb. I'm just going to keep playing this back. I'm going to turn this into <laughs> it's gonna be your one toy. of those things you used to put on your, um, you know, on your dashboard and press it if you got annoyed in traffic. Yeah. Well, so you're kind of, you're, you're meant to be level, if you know what I mean. Your, your upper body is meant to be level. You take the steps. And you're now showing me with a pen, which is really great in an audio medium. Meant to be. Yeah. Bumping up and down. Yes. And they said, you know, there was a bit of a bop there. So when when, when they criticize you, no more than when a, a reviewer criticizes your comedy, um, if they are right, you kind of have to go, oh, that's fair enough, you know. Um, what is, I think, the parallel between comedy and Dancing with the Stars is, I think, if I look back on my first few comedy gigs, and I'd say you're the same, you're at some point, you're not going to do well. You're going to have a gig or two in the first 10 gigs that you'll die. With me, it to was a my great, first gig. To a, well, okay, to a greater or lesser degree. Yes. But your second gig, what was that like? It was really good. I won a little competition. Right. See, this is my this is my feeling. We've had a lovely first dance. Yeah. Uh, if we have a really lovely second dance, hopefully when the inevitable hammering comes, because you will get hammered by the judges or yeah. you'll make a mistake, whatever. What you don't want is your first two or three to be the hammerings because then you think I think you lose all confidence in yourself. Well, so, also, I guess the audience are kind of I mean, it's partly likability and partly whether they think you've got it in you, I guess, isn't it? Because you're not in terms of the I don't really know what the different characters would be in the Irish yeah. one because I've not been watching it. But I, you're, you're not the sort of laughable old person. No, I could be that if they would like me to do that. <laughs> you're so too you're fit not, for that. But yeah, yeah, well, maybe. But they so they 
you're not that and you're not the kind of, oh, we always knew he'd be an amazing dancer underneath it all. So I guess the audience are going to be hedging their bets a bit and thinking, well, we've seen him on the blame game. We've seen him on telly for years, but is this him or isn't it? Yeah, they have no idea, I suppose. Uh, but I mean, that's I have that in common with them. I have no idea either. Um, my, I have had friends on it who were comedians and some were good dancers and then some were not great dancers. So I suppose the jury's out on the comic until the comic actually starts to dance. And obviously over here, Bill Bailey sort of did all right. So that was, you know, yeah. gave us wow. all the, Yeah, that was amazing, wasn't it? Did you watch any of that? I have I've seen it since for, for kind of inspiration. Um, but again, like, you don't know how many votes anybody is going to get. You don't know. I think it's even more important in Ireland versus the UK the idea of constituencies, if you know what I mean. Yeah, so, yeah. um, so is for Jane example, going around leafleting constituencies <laughs> while you're dancing. Oh, yeah, we've it's it's for on so. Tammany Hall here. Good. It's, I mean, there's there's pollsters, <laughs> yeah, uh, there's yeah, John Curtis, yeah, there's a hive yeah, of activity behind e- you, people sewing banners, yeah. yeah, there's sewing banners, you can't see this, yeah, uh, Delamere yeah. for president, yeah, yeah. the dog's uh, been branded for weeks, hasn't it? Absolutely, you just yeah. shaved my image into the side <laughs> of the dog, yeah, oh, yeah, I mean, it's hardcore here, yeah, yeah, but I think in this country i think in particular because it's so much smaller that there are constituencies so horse racing ireland will get behind nina carberry who's who's brilliant as the dancer and and as a national hunt jockey um nicholas roach will cycling ireland get behind nicholas or you know there's a rugby player in it who's still playing for the uh, ireland sevens teams or do you know what i mean so there's there's tim mcgarry and his kids are going to get behind you yeah so that's good so that's that's three votes yeah that's good. I can't vote, but I'm right behind you every step of the way. I don't know if you can vote or not now. This is the thing, you see. Oh. I'm not sure. Because if you're on a UK network and you're in the north of Ireland, you can vote. That's right. I did know Northern Ireland can vote. So, like, if you're on a UK network, I don't know if you can vote or not. So. Well, my daughter's on a UK network in Spain. Do you want me to get a few of her um, Hall yes. of Residents in Madrid voting? Yes, is the answer to this question. They'll vote for anything if you buy them a pizza. I want to be the Boaty McBoatface of dance. Yeah. dance. I think, right. I think that's a fair... I mean, I think if that's what you're aiming for, maybe you can surpass that. Namaste, motherfuckers! And is it in terms of... And we will talk about a couple sorry, of my, other things. That, did you, my dog has just let one go in the background. I'm so sorry about that. Oh, this <laughs> is what I... You know I'm about to get a dog, don't you? Yes. Uh, when? I'm getting, weeks. I'm getting dog scary dreams more than I did when I was pregnant. As in, I know I'm not pregnant with the dog, but I was quite relaxed about the prospect of children coming into my life. But the prospect <laughs> of a dog, I keep thinking, shit, is this a really bad? I'm actually taking it more seriously than I took bringing humans into the world. I'm is sure that... your kids are delighted to have heard that. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I'm very committed to my kids. All I mean is it just felt like the most natural. I was like, yeah, come on in, kids. I'm ready to be a mum. And I'm not sure I'm mature enough to be a dog owner, not least because my kids keep asking me if I'm mature enough to be a dog owner. Um, my son said to me, so I'm seriously worried, mum, about your capacity to commit to a living creature and keep it alive. And I did say, well, I show you exhibit A, yeah. you are 24. And he was like, there are always anomalies. That's what he said. So, so, so you raised him, but I mean, he, he's not sure of, of the job that you did. Basically. He knows the word anomalies. I thought that's already a good job as a man. Well, okay, that's fair enough. Yeah. So he doesn't know. Um, and there's also been some debate about the name. The name might be the name might be Jeff, because I quite like old men's names for a dog. Jeff the dog, Tom the dog, Dick the dog, Harry yeah. the dog. I'm yeah, not going okay. Dick. I'm not going around Hampstead Heath shouting Dick. No. Um, although apparently Jimmy Carr's got a dog called Taxi. So really? <laughs> <laughs> 
but um but yeah I was anyway I said to the kids I was like oh I might call the dog Jeff and I was with a mate at the time and, and Ella my daughter was there and um and my mate said well if you shout Jeff on Hampstead Heath a load of old men will come running and my daughter said I think that's what she wants so that's the um that's what we're getting but no I am a bit nervous about it but that's a whole lot because you seem like you've got a wife I do a dog Yes. One dog, two dogs. One dog, yeah. One three-legged dog, yeah. One three-legged dog. And I know you reasonably well. And you do seem way too not screwed up. Unscrewed up, I guess you could even say if you were using the <laughs> English language. You don't seem very screwed up to be a comic. Because it is quite rare that uh, comics aren't a complete fuck-up, isn't it? That I has speak been... as one who's a bit of a hot mess themselves. That You wouldn't be the first to have said that to me. Mm. Um, and how do you answer this? I say I was very lucky to meet uh, an incredible woman and uh, we're married for many years and um, I adore her. So I'm very lucky in that regard. And I've, I've had different ups and downs of, of career and you're busier at certain times and you're busier at other times. And um, I got lucky very early on as well. So I was kind of, on, I was on TV at 24, 25 and I was touring from, from 25, 26 and have been part of successful TV shows that that you kind of, it's so rare in a small market like here that you almost, like you, you need to get on TV when we started anyway, you needed to get on TV and you needed a TV show to last because there wasn't that many of them. Mm-hmm. And I was extraordinarily lucky in, in, in TV shows on the panel with Dara O'Brien and Ed Byrne and Andrew Maxwell and Colin Murphy and I'm Red Farrell. And then but you could do it. Let's not forget you were lucky to get on, but you weren't lucky to stay on. Well, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I suppose I'm saying it, it, it was lucky. It was on really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, so yeah. I've been so it's been very lucky from the start. And then I've done things and they've gotten one series for whatever reason or the other. So you just kind of go, what can you do? I, I think people tend in, the, in this industry to get a bit head up in the moment. And I think. What I have figured out is that folk memory is the only thing that really matters in, in lots of ways. So like if you if you talk about, say, fittest families or dancing with the stars, for example, say you do those, say you're terrible, say you're a terrible dancer, you fall over, you make a fool of yourself. Six months, the folk memory will be, oh, he's not a very good dancer. And in nine months, nobody will remember it even happened. Mm-hmm. Nobody will remember. Tell that to Sean Walsh. Yeah, but look, OK, maybe it'll take a little bit longer, but I mean, and. and some of that was, you know, that was completely beyond his control as well. Um, not the event itself, but, yeah, but how the, it was received afterwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but like I would I would argue that in a few months, again, that will be that will be forgotten to a certain extent. I mean, there that's an anomaly. Callie. That is we, that is the word of the <laughs> podcast. Is, we might call this podcast anomaly. And that is, is the it, exception that proves the rule, I think. Yeah, yeah. But when you... I mean, that's all well and good to, to say all of that. But then you said you did fit his families to, um, you know, for sort of mental health. And all of us, it's been an absolute, I think um, Fauci's term is it's been an absolute shitter, this pandemic, yeah. hasn't it? And <laughs> it, uh, so it has been. It is been, Fauci's, yep. <laughs> yeah, he said that. Um, I did watch him just now doing some brilliant taking down of some right wing conspiracy theorist. It was very good. But anyway, that's another story. So in terms of, because that is... And again, I do know you well enough to know that you, you, yeah, you have seemed to get through this in a pretty solid way. Not least, I'm sure, because you've got your anchor of somebody who loves you and you love, and a dog and a house, and a, you know, you've got stuff that's worth keeping going for. But it's been quite 
dark hasn't it this last period i think yeah i mean there was if i look back on some parts of it in say january february 2021 where we have no vaccine this time last year yeah everything is everything is shut um vaccine hasn't come out yet we don't really know i know i know i know it was being it was just about to be put in arms um towards the end of the the previous year um but we don't know how long it's going to be before we all get it and we were just in that place where all structure had been removed i suppose yeah. so what's weird about stand by always think is that it's a structuralist job so the people who have enjoyed it and have gotten on well in it a lot of them have imposed their own structure on it so I, for example, would do Edinburgh every year. So you have to have a show for August every mm-hmm. year. You have to have a show, which means, you you know, you're you're touring that show after you do Edinburgh. You go out and you do kind of November, December on TV. Then you do January, February, March, April. That's touring. Then you start writing your next Edinburgh mm-hmm. show. And then you do the kind of summer festivals. So there was structure. Like a school year for comedy. Like a school year for yeah. comedy. And suddenly when COVID happened, the first couple of months were like, oh, no Edinburgh pressure. That's brilliant. And then when you go, God, we might have another year of this, and then another year of this, it was like, oh, it felt like you were a bit ruthless. You were just kind of, you know, um, just waiting for the vagaries of this epidemic to just blow you in another in another direction, you know. So if I look in the first six months of 2021 in particular, I, I found that very difficult. And that was one of the reasons that I, uh, I we did some new projects. You and I did a couple of projects um, and I just took on some stuff that was like, OK, well, I have to do a certain amount of training for this because I'm about to go on national television and do an assault course. So, uh, yeah, well, it definitely, definitely affected. It definitely affected me in, in certain ways. And what I want you to tell me is that getting a dog, all you need to do is have a dog and you would always pull through any crisis. Is that oh, the moral uh, of the story? I swear. So we had, we had, we foster dogs. My wife foster dogs. And, um, you know. Is there nothing it, your wife can't do? So at, at the start of that year, we weren't sure about what our travel arrangements were. So we took on a dog called Mick and Mick was absolutely adorable. And, um, and then when we found a home from that would be more permanent, we had to give him up after about six months, whatever. But like I rehabbed Mick, ripped, he had broken his leg and he had got an operation and I, I, and he was really nervous and I walked him every night at kind of one o'clock in the morning. So he, there'd be no traffic and he wouldn't get freaked out. And I slowly built him up. That's got to be better than watching Clarkson's farm. If anyone had stuck a camera or a GoPro to your head, everyone would have wanted to see that. <laughs> well, it, but it's just like, fine. Dog doesn't know about COVID. Dog doesn't care about COVID. Dog has to be fed every day and walked every day. And um, uh, yeah, the answer to your question is get a dog and they make most ills go away, I have to say. And you had, even though career-wise we're at very different stages, I think your comedy career has probably been going, you know, three or four times as long as mine, which I think you can slightly tell um, when you see our capacity. For, well, I always think you're like a panel show ninja when I saw you on <laughs> The Unbelievable Truth, which is where we met with um, David, David Mitchell's show on Radio 4. And you were just, I was like, bloody hell, because having worked on panel shows my whole life, I was like, shit, I've very rarely seen someone as quick as that on panel shows. But you have been, that is your trade, I guess. You've been doing that for years. So it's not a given you'd be as good at it, but you have put the hours in. Yeah, I've done uh, 15 years on the blame game in Northern Ireland. I've done... We Which for anyone who doesn't know, it, it it's a bit like have I got news for you uh, yeah, in a but way. Looser. 
but looser, but also bloody high standard. I know lots of um, comedians from here will go, you know, you get English comedians going over there, not having much watched it and thinking, oh, this will be some shitty little local show. And the standard, bloody hell. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I prepped hard when I came on that show. Yeah, but you could tell as well um, that you prepped hard. Uh, so I did that. I've done that. And then I've done, we did six or seven years with Dara Breen on the, the panel and Ed and all the rest of the guys and then news quiz and all, all those sorts of things. So, I mean, I love a panel show because a panel show is the closest thing to stand up in some ways that you can get on TV mm-hmm. in that it, you know, you know yourself, the record time is similar to a gig and um, the, the immediacy of the Apart audience. On QI, the which room. takes three weeks. Well, yeah, there was a, there's a couple of notable exceptions, all right. Yes. Um, so I, that's, I love it. I mean, I, sometimes any of the sketchy stuff I've done or documentary stuff, like it's it's so long for what you're going to get on TV. Yes. It's it, you know you don't get that immediate gratification that kind of comics want, you know. So you've got so your career, obviously, in many many ways, is completely established, and you're a name, or you wouldn't be doing uh, Dancing with the Stars. But the but is that you're equivalent to what I had. So I, at the start of the pandemic, was just starting to get my proper sort of breaks in telly and more radio and sort of bumping up a league. And literally everything fell apart. And I thought, and I was 50 at the time and thought I was lucky enough to be breaking into on-screen work at 50 as a relative unknown, let alone whenever this ends. And you were in London at that point. So you were doing lots more over here. So yeah. even though you're very established where you are in a not insignificant way and you've done plenty over here, you're certainly very known on the circuit, but you were suddenly getting those opportunities here. So you and I think for both of us, what we had in common was it was absolutely shit timing when we were we were in sort of sight of sure of new things. Yeah, I suppose so. Well, I was we went to London for we just said we'll have an adventure. And uh, listen, if anything happens after that, that's fine. But we like we literally wrote a list of London things down to do. So we said we're going to get the the channel to to France. We're going to go to Kew Gardens. We're going to go to Buckingham Palace. We're you know all the we're going to go to. The you Tower were like of a London. couple of old nanas on a oh, on a little abs- trip. Absolutely, yeah. Churchill's yeah. War Rooms and all yeah. that. And we and we went. This is what we're going to do. And we're going to live in town. We're going to walk everywhere. We're going to experience it. And we did. And we absolutely adored it. And then. Because we enjoyed it so much, it was weird. I think some of the great work then came after that. You and I, we did like we did Pointless and we did um, news quizzes and The Unbelievable Truth and all those things. And then a, a pandemic happened, I suppose. So you, 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 we, we, there was no work there. So there was no point in being in London when the, all the gigs were gone. So um, went back to Ireland. And um, I bet when you saw how much slacker we were with lockdown, you wish you'd stayed here. Um, yeah, well, I also saw the numbers that people who perished, and I was like, no, I kind of like my extended family. What was so. it about Boris's hair that gave away the fact he might not know how to handle a country in a pandemic? Hair, hair and everything else. Um, I know well, that's before we knew he always carries around Stilton and a bottle of Chardonnay in his back pocket <laughs> in case a, a spontaneous party breaks yeah. out at any moment. Yeah, he has a little he... <laughs> plastic thing in case of emergency. Breakout Stilton, yeah. Exactly, the wine cooler that he always takes to work meetings. That even when he's at, imagine being at a party. When you were drunk at a wedding, did you did you not even realise it was a wedding? Did you think you were actually at work? I didn't. I was looking at a woman. I thought, she's in a white dress. <laughs> she's a bride or a ghost. Yeah. And I was drunk and I couldn't figure out which. Exactly, uh, but you knew you were working. I, I Yeah, I knew I was working. You though. definitely knew you were working. This will be, I'll have to make sure this episode goes out within the next two weeks or everyone will be like, what the actual fuck are you talking about? Who's so, Boris? Who was 
virus. <laughs> so, hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. I hope that'll happen more quickly than two weeks. But not that we're going to get political. But so so in terms of that, because the the going back to Ireland, so you and I had a similar thing that those, because what happened for anyone listening who isn't in our business, and it's probably, I think you'd have noticed it as a punter watching stuff and listening to stuff, was that suddenly the level of who would do everything, suddenly everybody would do everything. You get the biggest name in the world and they'd suddenly want to do a little show via Zoom because what else were they doing? So suddenly yeah. the things we were like, I was like, don't take away my pickings, don't, <laughs> big names, don't want to do the shit things I'm happy to do. So suddenly everything moved a gear, didn't it? And it was really, and so people who were just on the cusp, I mean, you still did some brilliant stuff. You know, you did it, you did at least one news quiz during lockdown. Down, I, you? Oh no! I kept doing fighting talk. I did four or five you, news quizzes. You did, I did the unbelievable truth. Richard Osmond's House of Games. Yeah, and yeah. So you're quite annoying, really. So really, did. it didn't hold you back, <laughs> is what we've discovered. But well, it did I, hold me back. No, I completely disagree with that. Knowing how much you've done, um, but I do think I know you said your comedy career was relatively short, but your kind of TV career has been. Uh, more extensive and I have been doing this for long enough to know that this these things go in waves and people I'm a big believer in second third fourth fifth act fifth acts um I love absolutely love Bob Mortimer Mm-hmm. I think Bob Mortimer. Do you watch on, Mortimer and White House Gone Fishing? I have started to watch that. I'm oh, reading that the, is the, that's better than having a dog, I reckon, in terms of well-being. It, Don't you find it the most soothing, wonderful thing? It is brilliant. It's I like a television say, balm that you apply to yourself. It's like a liberally. nice, gentle massage, isn't it? From a softly spoken Middlesbrough man. Yeah. And I'm reading his autobiography and his work on What I Like to You is one of the funniest things you'll ever see. He's one of the few people who makes me go down the rabbit hole. I watch the first liar truth he tells. It leads you on to the next one oh, and I'm, yeah. I'm gone. Yeah. And and the reason I bring him up is because in the autobiography, it tells you just how much stuff he's done. And, you know, he was doing this and then that went well and that didn't go well. And like you would hope that we are all going to be in this for as long as we enjoy doing it. And that you know, you can be busier at some periods and you're flying at some periods and then you're not flying at other periods. So the longer you do this, the more kind of sanguine you get, I I think. I wonder if it's different though. And again, one of my, one of, not, I don't really believe in New Year's resolutions, but I do see it as we all probably do. You can't help but have a little review of where was I at last year and what's happening yeah. this year, no matter whether you take it too seriously or not. I certainly feel enormously more positive than I did this time last year, not least because the world is looking a bit more positive, albeit not without its minor challenges. But I think there is also an a, one of the things I thought about this year is I thought I just want to be less preoccupied with age. I've let a I didn't let age determine doing something brand new quite late in my late relative to most stand-ups. So why am I so preoccupied with whether I'm 50, 53 or 63? Who gives a shit? So I'm trying to feel more like that. And I think there's an element of that. But I do also think there is a slight, it's one thing to be a Joe Brand or a you know Jenny O'Claire or whatever who who's been around for a long time and they still get opportunities on television, but I do think and I'm not asking you to make comments on sort of you know tricky comments on gender. Or I'm not trying to set you up to, to comment on anything you don't want to, but I do think particularly for women it is quite hard to break into on-screen stuff when you're a bit older. I think it just is harder. I think that's fair enough comment. I mean that's just empirical truth. I would have said you know. Yeah. We- we have observed that, you know, from the outside and the inside for years. And I think, you know, it's all very well for you to say, um, I am determined not to concentrate on age. But like you didn't pick that out of the sky. 
you, 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 that's an issue because it's the issue in the industry. We all, and the we, marketing point of my 2019 yeah. show. So. <laughs> I mean, you did embrace it, in fairness. <laughs> it really but like, went with it. Uh, yeah, you did a show called Invisible about being yeah. invisible when you're a woman who hits 50. So you yeah. mean, you know. Yeah. Um, you I mean, made it the best. worked for me briefly, I will yeah. say that. Yeah. You made the best of it and you didn't see a pandemic coming. <laughs> I made but the like, best of it, I did. Like, you know, you're not picking something that doesn't exist. It's quite an obvious um, ism in the industry. It's quite obvious that the media is obsessed with with younger younger um comics and younger actors and younger singers and i mean in some ways i know i i can't complain too much because i was very lucky because i was younger and i did get those benefits at the time but like you know you're you're it's it's not a, something you're making up it's quite an obvious issue um and i think in some ways and particularly in comedy and in something like say the edinburgh fringe fringe festival which is so progressive in lots of ways i think almost the last ism that is left is that somebody over 50 would win the um, edinburgh comedy award a newcomer i think the last because the other the other thing that i think i always think that social mobility is something that we don't talk about enough and address enough i'm talking probably more from a business perspective the barriers to entry if you think about becoming a barrister you yeah. will see every aspect of diversity represented apart from the fact there are very few barristers who are not privately educated. And I don't think we think about those things as much. So my, uh, my two things are, I think um, age, there is a lot of ageism. Um, and I think there's a lot of lack of awareness of the fact that, you know, there are the barriers to entry for people from certain backgrounds in our industry, for example, if you think about people working in television, working in radio. So, um, but, but without wanting to get on my kind of um, soapbox as we get towards the end of this episode, but I do think, I do wonder sometimes I'm trying not to let that restrict me. I've always believed in the kind of I'll decide what I do and don't do. Thanks. I won't let myself get stereotyped, but I suppose the thing that I'm hoping for you and me, but in different ways is that whatever this, whatever that thing was that felt like someone had hit a bloody great, big, miserable pause button. It seems certainly for you that you are sort of glitter balling your way. Can you glitter ball your way somewhere? You're glitter balling your way forwards. You is can the way um, I, the way I do it. You absolutely can. Yeah. Um, yeah, but look, would you have started a podcast if there wasn't a been if there wasn't a pandemic? Probably I would not, no. Not. And luckily I was the only person in the world who thought to do it. So mine is the only new podcast and everyone listens to it. So I'm glad I, did, I don't know why no one else thought of doing I it. I mean, but, I did notice that. I mean, yeah. you were really first out of the blocks. I really was podcast yeah. In, yeah. in the last few months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So mine is unique there. And that was a nice thing to be able to do. So the book I said I'd write, you might notice there's not been much said about that. But my agent's approach to that has been getting a publishers meetings in for the end of January. So she's like, right, here are the three pitch meetings. Look forward to seeing your home proposal and that's what we're doing so she's she's kind of put a rocket up under my ass I guess it's not quite the same terrifying deadline as knowing you're going to be dancing um on live television on a Sunday night but it's my equivalent Neil it's all I've got and are you just one question before I ask you the three questions that I ask all guests um you do you strike me as someone who can be quite competitive and quite ambitious I say that with love and kindness mm -hmm. Is that fair to say on both of those counts? Um, I am competitive in something I think I might have a chance in. Oh, okay. So, so I love an old quiz. Um, when when I did uh, Richard Osmond's House of Games, I was like, I'd really like to do well at this. I was glad I wasn't on that with you. Um, yeah. uh, I, I and you did with, do well at it, to be uh, fair. Yeah, I was a re I'm on a really strong panel. Like Lucy Porter is an amazing quizzer. And there was a lot of fluke uh, and uh, that I got in that particular week. Um, 
I only want people from reality shows, otherwise I'm not doing it. I won't go on a panel with anyone. (laughs) Yeah, anyone who's ever done anything more than TOWIE, I'm not on. Yeah. Uh, So I would be competitive in that regard, but like something with Dancing at the Stars, I went into it going, I want to learn two or three dances. I know the ones I want to learn, actually, because in my head, Charleston is a dance I really want to learn because I kind of, and I want to it. see you doing the Charleston. That's and I on want, my wish list. I want to do the tango because I saw a scent of a woman when I was a teenager and went, that's what dancing is. And I'd like to do a jive because my parents used to jive. So after that, I thought, ah, listen, you know, I'm not competitive. I, I'm not I'm, I'm, I'm not like some sort of skilled, amazing, you know, hidden skilled dancer or anything. But I reckon at some point, I, there's probably a bit after a while, if you really get into it, you, the competitive spirit starts to take over. Yeah. It hasn't happened yet, um, but I wouldn't rule it out. Namaste, motherfuckers. What would you pick as your namaste, motherfucking, life-changing moment? Um, I think it was the thing that made comedy viable for me and that it's one of two moments. It was the... It was the the time when maybe I thought I would do stand-up, which was my first ever gig that I saw, uh, was in DCU, Dublin City University. And Deirdre O'Kane was the uh, headline act. And Dara O'Brien was the host. And I was like, who are these people? And what is this thing that they are doing? And I thought, this is amazing. And then a few years later, I was on Dara's TV show within five years I was on Dara's TV show and I remember sitting there and looking across the table and across the table was Dara Ed and Colin Murphy and between them they had I think 40 years experience or something at that time and I'd had four and uh, first story came up and I did a punchline and it worked and there was a bit that clicked in my brain that went oh I can do this I can do this at this level this is great fun and kind of never looked back. That that was the moment. I, I, rem- I remember it. I remember everything about it. Um, and that was the moment that kind of changed and made comedy viable in a, in a small country, you know, because suddenly people knew who you were and you could tour. Yeah, that was one of, one of those two, I think. And you still know all those people, presumably. You're still... I do, yeah, yeah. absolutely, yeah. And small circuit, you see them at Kilkenny every year or, or around and about. And they're like, there's that whippersnapper. You still look quite young. They probably still think you're about 24. I've only known you with the beard. I never yes. knew you pre-beard, but when I was doing a bit of research, I know it doesn't sound like I do research for these podcasts, but I was doing, I had a quick two, look, I had a two minute Google before you picked up on the Zoom call and <laughs> I saw that you did used to not have a beard. So yeah. um, you look like quite a different person without a beard. Is this, uh, um, is, is there a sort I, of rule at home of like, you must have the beard or I grew over? it for, I grew it for a part uh, in a kind of a mockumentary thing. And I was always clean cut before that. Yeah. And then I was informed in no uncertain terms. This is staying this is staying yeah yeah and i was like but maybe if I, no uh, that's what hamish said to me before we split up he said either i go or the beard and i said how about both went, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, bye-bye <laughs> exactly oh you gotta laugh so i'm um, talking of laughing what is your favorite joke i really love the bob monkhouse one you know um people people laugh when i say that i wanted to be a comedian but they're not laughing now I think it's such a brilliant joke. Very good. And I think it's about comedy, which makes me laugh. And I think uh, Bob Monkhouse was so good. And people kind of forget that. People forget because he went into quizzes in later life. Uh, um, he did a, that documentary. I don't know if you saw that, if you've seen the documentary where a load of comedians went to watch him in his latter years. And, you know, you used to have comedians with terrible audiences. And he 
absolutely smashed it. And you just thought, yeah, he had, he had the comedy chops. He always had the comedy mm. chops. Chose to do different things, but he still had them. So I really like that. And I, and I tend to, when I'm doing, say, a panel shows, if I think of something when we do the show and it doesn't go in or whatever, I kind of will jot it down and go, that could go into a live show. Uh, and Colin Murphy said to me, God, you like Bob Monkhouse. I was like, what are you talking about? He goes, oh, look at this show, you know, because he used to annotate everything and he had all these mm-hmm. notebooks with all his jokes and all the rest. So I kind of like his approach as well. So when he lost his joke books, you weren't making jokes about it. You were like, this is serious. This is, yeah, well, maybe maybe I got them. Yeah, I did wonder. I didn't like to say. Um, and uh, if you were to give one bit of life advice, we're moving on, so we don't want to get you, uh, yeah. In trouble. <laughs> In trouble. If you were to give one bit of life advice to everybody listening, what would it be? Um, it's not anything from any sort of weird Eastern uh, book of philosophy that will enlighten people's lives years and years I think ago. everyone's expecting Neil Delamere to do one of those so really? you've thrown everybody you've gone yeah, right off yeah, type yeah, yeah. Uh, that's true um, years ago I remember coming home from school and uh, I was talking about what had happened in school that day and my mother said to me um, nobody is as confident as you think they are nobody and I was like what she goes everybody is pretending in, in some way shape or form they might be confident in one particular regard but not confident in everything and that was like a bolt from the blue, particularly as a teenager when everything kind of revolves around you. And they're like, no, 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 no. He or she, they're very good at sport, but they're terrible at that. And in these circumstances, they're terrible. Relax. And I'll never forget it, I have to say. Very simple, but absolutely 100% true, I found in my days in this earth. That was one of the nicest people in show business, my good friend, Neil Delamere. Now, every episode, as you know, I pick a thing inspired by my guest that I am going to do. And this week, what I'm not going to do is dance. But I am going to do something else to get out of my comfort zone inspired by Neil. And I am going to try yoga. I think I've probably mentioned on the podcast before that despite its namaste title, not a big yoga fan. By not a big fan, I've never actually tried it. I I mean, I do respect people who do it. In fact, I'm terrified of people who do it. I, I mean, I do running, I do Pilates, but I find the whole idea of yoga very intimidating. I'm not very flexible. I mean, mentally, I'd like to think I am physically. Not so much. And I live in North London where I am surrounded by live north london yogis carrying mats under their arms so i'm scared but i found a class i'm gonna go in it's next to one of my favorite bars so i can go in there afterwards i might even go in there beforehand so that is it for this episode thank you so much for listening and supporting the podcast please don't forget to recommend rate and review it that all helps us get more and more people to the namaste motherfucking party and remember if you're in ireland or northern ireland you can keep voting for neil and his brilliant dance partner kylie we'll be back in your feed next monday as always when i will be talking to english designer and co-founder of red or dead wayne hemingway fashion is part of culture the idea you know it's art it's, it's doing something to yourself but it's also making yourself feel better a lot of the time as well namaste motherfuckers was written and presented by me callie beaton and produced by mike hansen and karusha dami for pod people productions with music by jake yap i'm callie beaton until next time <laughs> <laughs>
motherfuckers. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford, and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.